Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, my guest today is Robert Nyvert. Uh He's a consultant that works with 500 startups. Robert, how are you doing? Good, good. How are you today? Doing all right. I appreciate you uh, being on the phone here. So, you know, let's let's dive right in. Tell me about your work with uh, 500 startups. It sounds, I guess, obvious what the company does, but, you know, just tell me specifically. Okay. So, as you know, 500 startups, we do uh, seed investing or very early investing. And I'm I head up a whole group of it, which is sort of the B2B track. So I specialize in investing in enterprise software mostly, sometimes a few outside that area, but basically enterprise software that's being sold to other large businesses. And um, I work primarily with the SEED program, which is here in Silicon Valley in San Francisco and Mountain View. And we generally look for companies that are sort of shipping products and looking to move to the next level to grow towards their A round. A lot of the... Uh... The work I've been doing recently has been with uh, blockchain-based companies. So uh, do you look at any of those companies yeah. as uh, essentially enterprise software startups, or are they too early for you, even for you? I don't know. Um, no, there's definitely, I mean, well, I mean, Bitcoin obviously goes back quite a few years, and that's obviously based on blockchain. We've got a, a few derivative blockchains. Uh, Burst IQ, for example, is one of ours. They do healthcare records on the blockchain. We also have quite a few that are related to blockchain, depending upon how you how you do it. That is, they're based on a sidechain blockchain, but they're oftentimes related more to currency. So Glua, which is a financial product that allows people to do financial exchanges on a fiat or dollars usually, but sometimes other currency as well. Okay. And what? All right. So for enterprise software, what are uh, some of the recent companies in the past that you funded? If you're able to disclose that, and you know, what are you looking for sure. going forward? Sure. Uh, we've actually funded quite a few. Uh, what I'll do is uh, the two that I just brought up are probably pretty good examples of that, where one is a financial product. It, they're selling to a lot of things like casinos and others that are trying to move a lot of international money. And they're using, in this case, they're using their own coin uh, in order to allow or facilitate the international movements of money and control. And, you know, we can get into detail, but I don't think that's really what you want on this podcast. And Burst IQ is the exact opposite. They're there are blockchain applications specifically designed for healthcare records. Um, in this case, they're trying to exploit the idea of the fact that when you look at the healthcare system in the United States or many other, there are many providers. There isn't really an owner for that record except you. And that for it really works well with the blockchain. Okay, very interesting. So as part of your uh, investments, how much um, you know mentoring and fostering and incubation do you do? 
where you just invest and then you, uh, you know, they, they're going to move towards the Iran or not? Fire and forget, invest and then walk away. No, we're, we're definitely <laughs> fairly involved. Yeah, we're definitely fairly involved. Both those companies spent four months at our facility working with us and the rest of the team, and there are quite a few of us that we'll work with, each with a different specialization. So we'll invest uh, about $150,000, and then we'll spend about four months working with that team to try to refine everything from business, plans, some technologies, and help them launch towards that A round. Yeah, what do you see are the, uh, the big areas that these founders need help in? You know, what are they good at and what do they need help with? Well, I think that does vary by company. So, I mean, some founders are very strong business and some need a little bit more help in other areas. I think the most common one that we get, though, is people are really great at technology, especially in the blockchain area, but aren't necessarily good at the business side. I mean, if you go and you look back at sort of the history of Bitcoin, a lot of it was started by people who really believed in this idea of decentralization and no government control. And so a lot of the people who moved into it weren't necessarily business people. They weren't looking to build a business. From my personal point of view, and and certainly I'm open to disagreement, I feel like it's starting to transition to a business where we're starting to see a lot more people posing ideas on the blockchain that really are about business and not just about uh, something they just believe in, which is that government shouldn't be involved and that there shouldn't be owners of the information. We're sort of in that transition. So what we're finding is a lot of teams do come in with good technology, and oftentimes a grasp of a problem, but not necessarily knows how to build a business out of it. You know, how do they charge for it? How do they make money from it? How does that go forward? And, you know, things like ICOs and other things have introduced a lot of new mechanisms into that as well. Okay. Um, How many, okay, so how many proposals do you look at? How many pitches do you get for every company that you'll invest in and work with? Got it. So we get about 3,000 applicants for a batch of about 30 or so, 30 to 40 companies. So about a 1% acceptance rate um, is probably about right. It varies a bit, but that's about it. Yeah, it's, it's quite high. 500 Startups has a, a global reputation. And that's actually, especially when we talk about blockchain and other things like that, it's very global. And that's actually, we're also quite global with more than 50% of our applicants coming from outside the U.S. in some cases. Well, tell me some of the insights. You must have seen ungodly amounts of pitches. I mean, what, <laughs> what do you guys look for? Or what makes a good pitch versus a bad one? Well, I think uh, I think there are kind of two questions that you asked there, you know, some great insights and what makes a good pitch versus a bad pitch. Maybe I'll, I'll answer those maybe a little separately. Um, there are so many good ideas. And this is one of the most wonderful parts about being a VC. Yeah, okay, I admit there's lots of terrible ones. Um, if, I, if I say one more plan for either a nuclear reactor or a self-sustaining engine or, you know, a few other things like that, we do get a few of those. Um, and, and then you get some other crazy ones. But I think it's really interesting to see how innovative people are with the same idea. I mean, blockchain is just a really basic component. There are so many things that, I mean, healthcare records, financial. I mean, we've seen proposals for all kinds of things from education systems, information flows, especially with the ability to use tokens and make payments, you know, everything from file clone, which is a whole new idea of storage. There are so many potentials from it. It's not a lack of good ideas, actually, from our point of view. It's really the ability to implement them. It's the skills and having the team, and this is back towards your second part, your pitch, what makes for a good pitch. It's it's really about having a combination of it's not only a good idea, it's not only that they have the ability to solve the problem, uh, but it's also that they have other components. So, for example, do they know how to solve the problem? Is the market big enough? Do they know how they're going to make money from it? Can they recruit the team they need? 
Do they have the ability for the founders to work together? And that, that, that sounds like a small thing, but it's actually one of the larger reasons they fail. Uh, oftentimes, finding a group of people who can effectively execute is a rarity. Uh, from my point of view, there are two primary things that kill, that kill startups. One is no product market fit. Basically, they build something nobody wants. The second is basically the team. Uh, they argue or they don't get along or they can't execute. Uh, so I think what makes for a good pitch is to understand that there are many components that the VC looks for. Is the market big enough? Does the team get along? And they're finding something where you can cover those asks, all those facets effectively really makes for what makes a VC much more able to move forward with you. Okay. What's the climate like right now? I've heard, you know, oh, startups are down, you know, new business formation is down. Do you think things are going in a good direction or or not a good direction? I mean, what kind of trends are you seeing? Uh, so for me, I I don't see your what you just already mentioned uh, trend at all. I see that there is a larger move towards startups because remember we're also global. So we've gone. I mean, I'm heading to the Middle East. I'm heading to South America. We do programs all over the world. There is increasingly a, a significant number of not only governments and corporates and others are starting to realize that this really is necessary for them to compete is to create a more, we'll call it startup-friendly environment. There are definitely patches of the world and areas and times when things are not as friendly. But uh, from my point of view, I feel like now is probably one of the easier times, maybe not the easiest, but certainly one of the easier times to start a company. There are a large number of existing tools out there. You can start and test ideas much less expensively. You don't need to build data centers like you did in the past. There's lots of open source. There's a tremendous communication that's possible to find new founders to join you. That's really important, finding other team members who can join you. You can build and test prototypes much cheaper than you used to in the past. There's a lot more infrastructure for finding VCs and doing funding. I mean, just ICO and that whole idea, there's all kinds of new ways to fund things. So from my point of view, this is a good time to do startups. It's not easy because there's lots of competition, many other issues, but it's really not, not nearly as bad. I, I'm a little older, so I've certainly seen several cycles in the past where things were brutal on the startups, and I don't, I don't see that now. Well, what about all the, um, you know, ICOs are like awesome. I mean, they're like a really fantastic new way to raise money, but the new way, I'm sure, is going to be subject to the old rules, maybe with some tweaks. Mm -hmm. What do you see is, is coming for the ICO market? How is it going to play out, is your guess? Well, um, I'm, I'm not going to say, I'm not sure I'm an expert on forecasting, but I'll, I'll give it a try here. So sure. if you look at this as many other things have happened in the past, I think ICOs are going to become another way at which companies can fund it. I don't think it's going to just wipe out VCs, but I do think it's playing an important role. And if you look at it, crowdfunding in general, so most uh, – I'm going to make some broad statements here. I'm sorry, I'm going to simplify this slightly. If you're selling an app coin, or basically you're, you're more like a Kickstarter project where people are buying in early, but they're not buying equity, those, those type of projects have existed. Kickstarter has existed. But this gives a huge, broad range of people all over the world in a much bigger, broader fashion than really was possible before. So I do think it will play a part. But I think that that's going to, like Kickstarter, it's going to come down to a group of people. I, I think that there is a particular group right now which is very successful in those building cryptocurrency infrastructure because it's hard to spend Bitcoins now. The, the, the flat-out issue is Ethereum, Bitcoin, they're actually hard to spend. It's hard to buy a house with, a bit, with Bitcoins now. So 
it provides a means for those who have coin to invest it. And that makes it more, that's why a lot of them are so popular now because there are quite a bit of pent up demand for this sort of product. I do think it will level out. I think it'll play a part in the future. I don't think it's going to wipe everything else out, but I do think it's going to play an important part. And I also think equity-based IPOs will also play an important part. And yeah, I do think they'll come in under regulation, but we're already seeing it creating templates. There are already uh, companies and organizations that are willing to release very rapid templates to allow you to do this fairly economically. And again, back to my statement before about how easy it is to start a company, very soon it's going to be fairly inexpensive to do an ICO, even if it's equity, because it'll be standardized. And that means more companies, lower barrier to getting it done. Okay, well, that's great. Do you think there's going to be a, well, I mean, I, again, it's pure speculation. We could see mm-hmm. you know, some countries trying to ban it, at least for now, and control it. Okay. What the U.S. is going to do, but we'll see. But good. Agree, agree. And obviously, the, the reference here is to Russia and China and the recent actions. And you're right. The whole infrastructure, first of all, blockchain in itself does this, but more specifically, cryptocurrency, the governments are losing control of the, the levers of the economy. They can't control the fiat currency, or rather, excuse me, that's an incorrect statement. They can't control the economy by using the fiat currency anymore. They don't know where currency is flowing. It's harder to tax. There are issues where governments are going to resist. We should expect that. Right now, there's really not that many people moving Bitcoin around. It's not that a large effect on the economy yet. But imagine if 30 or 40% of your population was all using it and they were actively using it to purchase. You're losing control of your economy from, from the governmental point of view. I totally understand that. And I do have an expectation that they're going to resist. This is the, the actual order of things. My statement is I do think they will, but I do think that in many cases we're going to find a medium where they can exist. There might be some additional burdens placed on crypto, but some additional things pushed back, and it will allow because the fact is there are many cases where it is just a massive improvement over the system. And given a little bit of work with the government, we can conquer some of their issues. Now, I know that there are some in the community that disagree with me on this rather wholeheartedly. I'll I'll phrase wholeheartedly maybe as a a light way of saying that. They really (laughs) do not want the government interference, right? They don't want to know who they say. No, 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 you can't know who I am. Absolutely not. But this is what my statement is. Like many things in this world, as it moves towards the mainstream, some accommodations will be made to allow it to be a much broader usage. If the fact is I could pull out a credit card and just use it, and I could spend my Bitcoins, it really does enable it to be powerful and more useful. There are tremendous advantages here. Yeah, I mean, I'll say it for you. You know, you can't say it, but, you know, I know people want things away from government. I know they want it to just be on their own, but if this stuff is going to become widespread and widely adopted, it's, it's got to be regulated, at least in some part. I don't know how much. Yeah. I don't want it to be regulated too yeah. much. Yeah, when Mount Gox ran into problems, who did they ask for help? Yep. I mean, Again and again, you'll see that as the system fails, they pull back to the same regulatory agencies they were evading. My statement is this is a natural order of things, right? You start off with the cowboy. You start off with a wild left, right? You start off with the United States. There's nobody settled. You run out there. You grab the land grab. Then the sheriffs come, the infrastructure stuff. My expectation is, my statement is, look, don't just let it fall by default. You have to move forward in an active way to allow the government to move in so that it doesn't cause a crippling problem. They don't end up crippling it, but rather to introduce enough to satisfy, but enough where, where it works. And so one of the things we're trying to actively, us and our investments and other things, 
is trying to actively engage to say, no, let's engage with them beforehand so that people can opt into systems that do comply. Now, yes, there's always going to be some fringe elements, the Silk Roads of this world. I'm not proposing that we can't shut them all down. We never could. But rather, if we can create some interaction so that the regs can fall into place, it really can enable the very essence of both blockchain and cryptos to happen much more readily without so much resistance. What other uh, trends are you seeing in uh, startups? You know, is it uh, the same people that always did startups are doing them? You know, more okay. men, women, uh, minorities, different countries, you know, any trends? Um, you know, and, and so you, we're on the sort of topic of blockchain crypto. One of the great things it does enable is actually other countries to participate much more readily. And I think that's, that's actually a positive. As a general trend, we at 500 have actively gone outside the United States to engage other countries and other areas and, yes, minorities and women and other things to try to bring them into the fold more readily uh, to do what we can to spread it out. And we're doing it in, a, in an odd way, I suppose. We're doing it because we think it's more profitable. We, we actually say, well, look, we can find a bunch of these amazing people who have poor financial options outside of us. We can work with them and get a much better return. So it actually works well for us to engage those that others ignore, that others ignore. So you'll oftentimes see many people from 500 speaking in everywhere from Eastern Europe to Africa, because part of the, we believe that this is a global thing. And part of the thing about everything from crypto and blockchain and all the rest is that national borders make a lot less, they matter a lot less as you increasingly move to these sort of systems or internet and, and blockchain-like configurations. It really doesn't matter whether I sit in Kenya or the United States if I'm doing a lot of this work. Makes sense. And Great. one of the things, like, for example, let's, let's, let's pose on why it makes a difference today. Education system, right? Hey, I have a better education here than there, right? But there's lots of things that aren't going to change overnight, but as the Internet, as I can watch, I can take classes sitting there, right, as all that goes away, and as fiat currencies go away and move to crypto, I can pay them internationally. All I'm pointing out is these barriers are getting smaller and smaller. Without us noticing it, they're slowly shrinking. And so more and more people in non-Silicon Valley locations can increasingly compete. And one of the big things was that you had to come to Silicon Valley or New York or one of the key locations like Shanghai uh, to get money, right, to raise a big VC fund. Well, ICOs changed that. You don't got to go anywhere for those. Um, what about, uh, you know, everyone seems to be in love with, with blockchain lately, but also uh, AI. Mm -hmm. Uh, 3D printing, you know, mm -hmm. other industries like that, stem cell medicine, et cetera. What other oh, yeah. industries CRISPR. are you seeing? Yeah, CRISPR, Cas9. What, yeah. what other industries are you seeing promising startups in that you guys are wanting to look at or, or investing in? Mm. Okay, I'm going to cover that in two topics. There's a lot of industries that I am, I think, are amazing, but we we don't actually like CRISPR. It's just too much, too big and expensive for our investment point. We can do healthcare, but Many of the very large genomics and things like that, they're, they're very long, very large expenses. So we tend not to be able to participate. It's just not our specialty. But I do think they're exciting. Um, if, if, if you've seen the stuff they just did with muscular dystrophy and many other things, it's amazing. The amount of positive impact on our lives could be enormous. That's, but we're not in that field, so I'm, I'm going to move on past that. We are actively engaged, however, in big data, AI, and many of their areas. And we actually do a lot of that work out of our San Francisco office. Um, and the interesting part is we're really, we're excited by many of it, but we're also a little worried. There is a huge number of jobs that are going to get replaced. We believe that there is a way to manage this to actually improve it. Just like the industrial age, 
which a large number of farming jobs and all went away, but people could actually get better jobs, we're, our biggest concern is that AI is going to move faster than we can adapt, that we're going to end up with huge revolution and a large number of unemployment issues before we've had the ability for our governments and others to react and solve that problem, to move people to a more valuable area. And that's actually our concern. But we certainly have a tremendous amount, as you see AI. And the thing about AI is it's also a nonlinear thing. As the tools advance and as it move, move, work moves forward, it actually moves forward at an increasing pace because it builds upon what's been done before. So it's a nonlinear effect. We, I don't expect us to slowly move along in AI to make slow progress over many, many years and then it sort of gets somewhere. In fact, what I expect it to do is move along, move along a little bit, and then suddenly, in a very rapid space of time, it suddenly comes into an enormous fruition, taking over or dominating a few things. Because it hits that point where it starts to accelerate, and each one building upon the next one is going to happen very rapid. Um, this is true for many things in computers. Once it hits that point where it starts to learn or can adapt, it moves very, very, very rapidly. And at some point, of course, this exceeds our capability to even keep up where the computer itself learns enough where we cannot keep up with its learning. And, and of course, the famous case, of course, is the Google example where not only did it learn aggression, but it learned it taught it developed its own language. Oh, that's right. That was with uh, multiple computers communicating, and they were communicating in a way that people couldn't understand. Exactly. We, at yeah. some point, once you hit the path where it, it has enough capability in a given area, and it might be photography, whatever that area is, once it starts to learn at a certain, the, the rate accelerates dramatically and accelerates way beyond our capability to keep track of it. We mm -hmm. no longer are capable of modification of the code because in and itself is modifying itself faster than we can, we can interpret the information. It is crazy, but okay, let's take a step back. Is this bad or good? And, and a lot of that has to do with us. It can be used for good or evil, just like everything else in science and math. A nuclear, the, the ability to make nuclear energy can be good or bad. You can either create great energy at a low cost, or you can kill each other with it. My thing is, is AI is dangerous in that it can go either way, but it can also be great good. Any projects you're seeing in the AI realm that, uh, I mean, are really surprising to you? <sighs> um, really surprising. I think what I'm seeing today, most of the projects I see today, are really good small projects. They're solving specific problems, truck routing, logistics, materials, uh, quality assurance, uh, fake goods. These are a lot of the ones we've been funding. We have not, and this is more in the lines because that's just not what we fund, but sort of Google, Facebook, and a few others are funding some much more breakthrough projects. We aren't doing too many of those. We just don't have the R&D capability. It's not our, our specialty. But what we are, what I am seeing consistently is things that took like 10 people suddenly take zero. And we're seeing this in a slow incremental move. For a trivial example, but one that's easy to understand, is think about customer service. Today, you're constantly calling, I know me personally, I've spent a lot of time talking to Comcast and many others, oh, i got to change this box, oh, i got to change that, oh, i got to change this. And it, it's a long conversation, and they're, they're somewhat difficult to get through. Well, bots have now stepped in and been able to deal with a vast majority of these. So it's not exactly impressive AI, but actually it has a large effect. There are a large number of people in that industry, autonomous vehicles. You know how many people are employed in the trucking industry or how many drivers of trucks there are? That's tens of millions, I believe, and I, I might be off on that. I apologize if I am, but that's a large industry. At the point where suddenly there is an autonomous truck, it's going to be very rapid. I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, it's going to take away jobs, and uh, but it'll create others. So I guess, you know, we'll see how it plays out. And I think but that's right, back um, to what I was talking about before. 
I do think there's an opportunity for us and part of what your program and all the rest is to understand that this is important that we move forward ahead of that cliff or ahead of that rapid curve. We cannot wait for the release of this truck to start replacing jobs. We need to start saying, how do we manage this situation now? And there are startups actually saying, well, look, we know these guys are all going to be an employee. What could we teach them? And that's the important part. I don't think waiting for a government to solve the problem is really going to work. I think they're going to be too slow. I think a lot of times in the startup community is to look for that opportunity, and VCs are open to look for that and fund companies because we know it's going to happen. Let's fund the companies that, that help that transition. All right. Well, very good. Well, let's let's wrap. You know, we're about out of time. So, um, for interested parties that want to pitch you, which I mean, you probably don't even need a call to action for that. So many of them do. But <laughs> how do people find out more about what you do and and choose to participate Surely. with you in some way? You know, advisor, pitcher. I don't know. Just call up and find out more. Not a problem. So I'll do two things. My email address is, of course, fairly simple. It's Rob at five hundred dot co, and that's dot co, not com. So it's Rob at five hundred dot co. Um, and certainly, I, I, make, I do my best to get through my emails as rapidly as I can. And certainly, many of our programs, our training programs, are also on our website. And although not up there right now, but very soon, you'll be able to apply to our next batch. So we will have a next batch for our seed program. Applications aren't officially open just yet, but they probably will be in a week or two. Very good. All right, Rob. Well, uh, thank you for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. No problem. Have a good day. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.